Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi, welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy, founder of KidsViews.com. I'm here in the studio today with Amy Oztan. Amy ever after. Hello. Hi, Amy. And Andrea is not with us today. She's got another week off. But we have a special guest with us today. Very excited. We've never had her on the show, but now we have her. We have Kimberly Seals Allers, who is an author and breastfeeding advocate. I'm going to say like maternal health advocate. Yes. So much more than breastfeeding. <laughs> um, but she has a new book out called The Big Letdown, which is the best title. <laughs> of, <laughs> I'm, when I saw the title, I'm like, that is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, the subtitle is How Medicine, Big Business, and Feminism Undermined Breastfeeding. So it's not everything you think. It's not just like a La Leche League, we're going to breastfeed. It's actually a much bigger book than that. Um, and she brought us copies, but I'm going to tell you I already bought mine. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy to have one signed. I like to buy my books when I leave a review on Amazon. It's verified. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, so, Kimberly, you just heard her voice. Thank you for being here. Thank We're you so for excited. having me. I'm so excited. I have to tell you, in our two years, we have never done a show about breastfeeding. We've sort of danced around. It's kind um, of amazing. We do we a never, lot of. We never did. Yeah. We've done work-life balance. We've done things about maternal leave um, and paternal leave. We've done all. We've sort of danced around mm-hmm. the breastfeeding. We've talked about a lot of breast pumps because right. we're talking a lot of tech. <laughs> yeah, including one. At CES, that was like the breast, the wearable pump one, bra. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. Um, lots going on there. Lots <laughs> going on there, right? But we've never, um, we've never really talked about it, and I'm really happy to talk about it because some people fall on very far sides of a spectrum where it's breastfeeding or nothing, and then people who feel like you shouldn't tell women what to do. Period. But you come from a really beautiful, like holistic space on breastfeeding, which is much more about advocacy and support and, I guess, you know, access, really. Really. And mostly, you know, I, I wrote The Big Letdown because, I, to your point, women are kind of battling each other and dividing ourselves and, and looking at each other and, and, and in regards to how we feed our children, but not looking up to the big picture, to the structural barriers that we all face, to the federal policies that are not family friendly, although they, they, they claim to be, you know, the social influences. So I really wanted to kind of lift this conversation off of individual women and ask us collectively to start looking at the bigger issues, right? What is it that we all need so that regardless of what we choose, that we're kind of in a much better place as women. Um, and so that's what really the big letdown is about, how there are really some major policy failures, structural gaps, you know, cultural forces, really economic forces, commercial interests, right? What happened to us as women when they figured out how to make money from replicating our milk? That was a huge shift in everything mm-hmm. and how these factors have influenced where we are today, how we see ourselves, how we see our bodies, and how we see really our biological, you know, norm to feed our children. So I want us to look up. Right to to and stop kind of being in this so-called mommy war, which, which I don't subscribe to, um, but really start demanding better of the structures that are around us and 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 our society. So let's talk about a little bit about that. What a modern mom encounters after she gives birth, even sometimes before, mm-hmm. when she starts to think about 
breastfeeding? Like, what is the norm that's going on right now in hospitals? Okay. Well, even before you get to the hospital, you're, you know, hopefully visiting an OBGYN, right? And unfortunately, one of the things I discuss in the book is really how the medical field has failed to properly educate physicians on breastfeeding. They receive very little training in medical school. Um, It is really something that happens maybe in a few hours. And so, same for pediatricians. So, one, the physicians that we're going to for advice on infant nutrition and what we should do, they have not really been trained um, in breastfeeding. So who trains, who does more training of physicians on breastfeeding? Well, the infant formula companies have stepped in to be very kind. (laughs) (laughs) No ulterior motive. (laughs) Right, right, right. And, And offer all sorts of nutrition institutes where many every year physicians, you know, they go to very nice resorts to learn, quote unquote, about breastfeeding. And so it is the only area where in the absence of true medical support and advice, the, the, the competitor, the one supplying the commercial product with the financial motive to make sure that you don't do that thing is now stepping in to so-called educate physicians. So even from the very beginning, we're dealing with physicians who might need some breastfeeding support themselves, by and large. There are some great physicians out there. It is. And, no, and, and again, these are the things that we're not talking about and asking about. Oh, also want to be clear that some there are a good number of physicians who are great and, and educate themselves and received unbiased education, not necessarily from uh, the Infant Formula Institutes, but really educate themselves to some other unbiased channels. So that's one thing. And then you get to the hospital, and many of these hospitals, I mean, women, are we, we are used to receiving a, um, a discharge bag, a formula. Mm-hmm. And I start my book talking about my experience, and I had that formula bag. It was given to me. The nurse said, well, just, you know, I said, I wanted to breastfeed the little card on my baby's, you know, bassinet mm-hmm. said I was that she was being breastfed, but they still give it to you and they tell you just in case, right? So they're already planting a seed in your mind that this might fail. But why is that, right? Why is the hospital distributing free stuff? This doesn't happen if you go there for an appendectomy. I was just right. in the <laughs> hospital for another reason. I didn't leave with any bags. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only if you have a baby. And really what's happening is these hospitals are making these backdoor deals where they're getting millions of dollars from uh, infant formula companies for the right to market to all of their moms. Now, we didn't sign anything that said we want to be marketed to. Right. We haven't been included in the conversation. So the hospitals take the money and then they market to the moms. And so again, now you're at the hospital and you don't understand why you're being given formula. Um, many nurses, again, are taken to many conferences. Uh, you know, it's becoming so, it used to be so common to have the infant formula rep on maternity floors, you know, bringing the nurses donuts every day and taking them out to lunch. I mean, it's a shame that our infant health can be compromised with a donut, but apparently it's a very <laughs> powerful tool, very powerful. Um, so, so again, these are the things that are going on behind the scenes that we as mothers don't really know about. What I love about the book, really kind of falling back on my journalistic training, you know, I spent time in hospitals. I spent time talking to nurses, you know, having some real conversations with physicians, childbirth educators, nurses about you know, what really is influencing how they treat mothers around breastfeeding. And, you know, the my findings were surprising and also a little saddening, I have to say. So, you, I mean, let's talk about this for a little bit as a mom. You're already scared, right, because mm-hmm. you're going to be a mom, and then you give birth, and maybe you're not feeling great. Maybe, hope maybe you are. Who knows what your birth experience was. And I know I had twins, so they come in first <laughs> with this 
industrial mm. pump on wheels, right? They're like coming at you with this giant pump because you say you want to breastfeed. And they're like, well, you might not be able to. And they just to. brought you a pump? Oh my God. I never had that. They brought my to breastfeed too, right? So they're like, you should start with this. You got to get ready. And when you have a C-section, they don't tell you that it could take longer for mm-hmm. your milk to come in with a mm-hmm. C-section. You've been like numbed. You've been mm-hmm. everything. So what I found was they would top off the the babies without even if you said you were breastfeeding they decided that your babies needed more and they would give them the formula so at night all of a sudden like i was i was breastfeeding i was pumping whatever i was doing they're like oh but now your baby's up to four ounces and you only had two so like we gave them another two and because you know they're underweight when they're born, mm-hmm. whatever it is and so all of a sudden you're i was at least caught up in this cycle of where they're like telling you it's okay because it's supplementing right right and it was really interesting because I feel like the way that it plays out, aside from that, I had like the whatever lactation consultant coming in. You never have so many people manhandling your boobs in your life. Mm-hmm. You're like mm-hmm. at this point, mm-hmm. you like you don't even care at that point. You're like whatever. Everyone's I don't grabbing know who you, you are, but you. You're, it's okay to touch it. It's fine. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, everyone's has a thing and pushing you and putting the baby on and off. And of course, if it's not working, like the baby's crying, and then you feel the guilt, right? right. So mm-hmm. then it all ties into the mom guilt that I feel like the infant companies have really figured out, mm-hmm. which is these formula companies know how to say, like, let go of the guilt. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is really bad for you because you're putting this whole idea in your head and you have enough mom pressure. Let it go. Here's your formula. Right, right, And that's right. a very enticing <laughs> Right. So it seems like a very enticing thing. I mean, there's so much that you said there, Rebecca, in that. I mean, first of all, how we give birth is, you know, doesn't also, I mean, it's one of those other things that kind of set you up for failure. And to your point, now they, you know, when your baby is born, the stomach is the size of a walnut, you know? I mean, it's like, but they've set you up Mm -hmm. with this ounce and this idea of measuring, right? And so this way that we've medicalized you know how we feed our children because breastfeeding is instinctual right like you can't see the ounces there are no ounce right. marks on your breast right <laughs> so, well if you get that wearable um <laughs> pump it tells it you it tells you okay yeah. <laughs> so but, but, now that's, but that's the way that we've been trained like we have to measure everything right everything yeah. must be measured but breastfeeding is about natural rhythm it's about kind of learning your baby's cues spending time with your baby knowing that look on their face when they're satisfied you know it's like it's a whole nother system that doesn't work with the medical system which is about measuring and timing and ounces and that's not what breastfeeding is right and so also we find that right after birth there's so many tests they take your baby they have to be weighed they have to be measured and really what you need at that time is your baby on your skin so you can feel that i'm giving myself goosebumps thinking about it right and all of that like just having your baby next to you releases the hormones that bring in your milk but they take our babies from us mm-hmm. you're like i think i had a baby where did it go <laughs> all right i was definitely the last one to see exactly. my baby i was the last one i had a c-section my sister saw my baby yes, my mom saw my baby. i was like what does she look like you know <laughs> right. and i'm like are you sure that she's mine and my daughter my sister's like i checked all the fingers and toes i'm like i wanted to do that but you know like this idea like our babies are just taken from us and what really helps your milk come in is your baby being right on you so certainly now we're learning more about skin to skin and they're trying to incorporate that right after birth but to your point many of the things that happen immediately after birth um, really stop breastfeeding from happening the way it's supposed to happen I mean secondly I want to mention about the guilt because the guilt is so real and I think that um, you know we all are are past the baby phase and what I try to say to moms is like mother I'm like mommy guilt is forever right (laughs) you know I mean I have a 16 year old now and I still feel bad and I think it's it's something that we pin around breastfeeding instead of looking at it as 
you know, part of what we do in America with mothering in general. Um, and so I just like to tell moms, like, feeling that you're not doing enough is unfortunately um, part and parcel of mothering. And you'll be fine. I always say I got a therapy fund for my children. They'll work it out like everybody <laughs> else did, you know, um, in, in therapy when they're adults. But the idea that what I find so disturbing about the infant formula companies, I feel that this idea of guilt and wars are ideas we are sold Right. Mm -hmm. We've been sold that because they created the soccer mom minivan. And then if you have if you're a different kind of mom, you have this car like they created that entity so that we could buy things based on our type. Then they try to tell us, <laughs> oh, yeah, don't worry about that. It, they, you know, those wars don't exist. I'm like, well, you really started them because there was right. a commercial interest in us to be kind of divided and picking our schools and our cars and our clothes and our book bags based on a type. And so really, again, looking up to understand, hey, who's, who sold us this idea about wars? Because every mom I know wants to be supportive, right? And because we know what it's like, we really want to help each other. And whether you want to bottle feed or whether you want to breastfeed I'm just like you're a mom and that's awesome you know and so we really have to look deeper as to kind of who's directing these messages and then trying to now turn around and say oh you guys shouldn't do that (laughs) which is really kind of weird right but let's talk about that like as a consumer I would say as the number one consumer moms Mm -hmm. um, instead of seeing it the way it's been played out where they're they've packaged it really well even the election they know how to package those moms against each other. Mm-hmm. They know how to pit it. But we are the number one consumers. And with that should come a lot of power. Absolutely. So how do we turn that around and use our consumer power rather than be used by it? Right. I mean, I think the first part is, is the awakening, right, is the awareness. And I think we're kind of, as women, coming to an awareness about, hey, something's not right. Um, and that's why, for me, the big letdown was so important to create this awareness about this isn't really about us. This is about bigger structures, right? Um, you know, even thinking about how do we transform our power, not just as consumers, but as, you know, as, as, as advocates, right, and people mm-hmm. who have a voice. When we look at the fact that our country is still the only industrialized nation that does not have a a paid maternity leave policy on a federal level, it's something that we all should be very upset about, right? Um, so these, are, again, are some of the things that we can use our power for. As, as consumers, you know, we have to not let the message work. You know, like, sure, I may like a certain type of shoes, but that doesn't necessarily make me against somebody who doesn't like that or my right. car or my minivan. Like, <laughs> we, we can't play into it, right? And obviously, we know that as consumers, the best thing we can do is say, that message doesn't work for me. Um, and, to, and to let advertisers know that, hey, you're off here. Um, we're, not, we're not really buying that message. And I think, to be honest, men did that, right? When men started being advertised to, I should say dads, it was always the bumbling dad. Yeah. And you, he comes home and there's spaghetti on the wall and you, you just hope yep, the baby's Mr. alive. Mom. That's right. And men said, no, that's not who we are. And we're not going to be kind of marketed to as the bumbling idiot, right? And now that's not what's happening in the marketing to dads, right? So men said no to that message. And right. we have to do the same as women to say no. But we've unfortunately uh, on a large scale fallen into it and not banded together to speak out against it. But now how do we bring 
Just going back to breastfeeding, mm-hmm. how do we bring the formula companies in in a way that isn't damaging? Because some women do use formula. Absolutely. I needed formula with, with both kids. With my, my son, I got very sick when he was about five weeks old. I couldn't breastfeed for about 10 days. I pumped and, and used formula and then went back to breastfeeding. With my daughter, I talk about not seeing them. I didn't get to see her till day four because mm-hmm. I was really sick and I couldn't breastfeed her until then. So she had formula for the first four days. So I was very grateful to have breast to have formula. Absolutely. Um, so how do we how do we bring it in without it being damaging and right. controlling? Well, I think that's such an important question because obviously infant formula needs to exist. And for the for moms who need it, for the babies who need it, we must have it, right? That is very, very important. But we need to think about the difference between a product that is necessary if something else is wrong, a mom is sick, breastfeeding is not working, versus something that is being heavily marketed to and given as the first choice, right? Also, one of the things that I talk about in the book when I really went to dig you know, kind of using my my years as a business journalist and say, okay, these companies are making multi-billion dollar profits, right? And of course, we live in a capitalist society and we know these companies need to exist. But the type of year-over-year revenue growth that they are generating, which quite frankly, Apple would love to have, right? Right. Other companies would love to have. What is the line between profits, which we all know you need to make, and really profiteering, as in what it takes for you to get those profits requires some unethical marketing behaviors, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's where we need to draw the line. Absolutely, infant formula needs to exist. Absolutely, these companies have a right to make money. But the money, the amount of money that they're making, the ways that they have to market in order to make that kind of money, and the fact that the ones that are often at risk are babies and often vulnerable babies, then we really have to start saying there needs to be a line drawn, even if it's just on an ethical perspective, right? And so when you begin to look at the practices that they are using to uh, use fear among mothers, right, make them feel like their bodies will fail them. These are Mm -hmm. things we should all be concerned about as women. The idea that they are going behind the scenes and, and really selling us and, and selling access to us without our permission, we have no say-so, and God forbid you refuse it, they act like you're crazy. Right. <laughs> These are the things that we should be thinking about. Like, yes, you need to make money, but we need to draw a line about where our bodies and our minds are going to be manipulated for you to do that, and our babies. It's really interesting, because if you think about the money spent on those diaper bags that you leave okay. at the hospital with, and you put that towards postnatal care, to a, vi- a nurse coming after you gave birth at home four days later to check right. on how you're doing or a weekly nurse for, the, for like they do in France, like someone coming in, checking, making sure everything's going. It's probably a lot cheaper, actually, than all those formula diaper bags and all the whatever they have to do for marketing dollars. So true. But that undermines their I mean, I don't think well, they should be doing it. Yeah. I'm just saying in general, it prevents one of the whole things about formula is that it allows women to go back to work much faster, right? Which is part of the backside of us not having any maternity leave right. is saying like, well now, because now we get into a situation of now you're pumping at work and that's if you had maternity leave. Right, right. Like for women who don't even have it, forget it. But now you're pumping at work and we all know like you're pumping in the bathroom or you're, God knows where you're pumping. You'll be right. back in the bathroom if Obamacare goes away because we shouldn't right. forget that that's something that came with Obamacare that certain companies were mandated to have a non-bathroom place for you to pump. Right. That's right. Which was a huge advancement, which 
could go. And also your pumps being covered was also an advancement of the Affordable Care Act and having that 15 minute break. And so, you know, this is really important to your point. Um, You know, I mean, work and uh, and breastfeeding are really challenging. And in a country where people are often going back to work two weeks, they don't even bother to start. Right. Right. I mean, and and, and you get that. You get that. What's the point? Right. Right. So um, often, you know, and then you have to take your child to child care and trying to find a child care center that knows how to handle human milk may also be a challenge if you do want to take it there, you know. Um, So there's so many barriers. And this is really what I'm talking about. There's so many barriers. Even if you want to, the system isn't set up. In fact, it is set up for you to fail before you start. And this is what we're talking about. I want to just mention something about the consumer side, Rebecca, as well, because one of the things that concerns me as a consumer is what we don't know about infant formula, right? I've traveled the world. I've lived in London for many years. And in this country, there is a, 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 a sugar that is allowed in infant formula that is banned in Europe because of its known connection to obesity. But in this country, we are, the FDA does not require the infant formula makers to disclose the sugar content, right? There's so much we don't know. And as consumers, the same way we want GMO labeling and we're starting to think about what we need to know about our food, well, how much more so for infant food? Now, remember, if I eat too much sugar today, tomorrow I could eat something else, balance it off with a salad. I might hit the Zumba class twice, you know, and burn <laughs> it off, right? But a, a, a baby eating formula is eating the same thing, what, five, six times, eight times a day for 12 months, and right. we don't know how much sugar is in it? Come on. Like, That's as crazy. consumers, That's we crazy. have to start demanding. Like, I'm all for a formula needs to be here, but I think mothers should have all the information they need so that they can know what's in it, how it's processed. This organic right. thing needs to be questioned. Right. <laughs> you know, and let's start asking those consumer questions as well. Wow. Hmm. That's, I never even thought of that. Yeah, That's like mind blowing to me right now. Like, I need oh, yeah. a minute. Because what's so crazy is you have people, right, buying organic cheddar crackers right. because they're worried about regular goldfish crackers right. but may have fed their baby's formula. I mean not doing about th- not knowing they were doing anything but fed them something that you never saw the label. You just knew if it was soy based or regular milk based or you know because then your kid has allergy whatever mm-hmm. it is that becomes the concern when you start talking about formula is just the base Right. But, but you also, never hear anything else. It, one of the things I talk about in the book is getting to the history of those bases. Now, we talk about the commercial interest. We talk about the big picture. Now, if you go back, you know, there, if we think about formula being either uh, cow's milk based or soy based, there was no preponderance of scientific evidence that said either of these two bases are going to provide the best nutrition. Right. What there was was a huge dairy lobby excess milk in our country, and they were looking for other outlets, right? The number one and two most subsidized um, commodities in our country are milk and soy, which just happened to be (laughs) what you will also get for your infant formula. So again, we got to look up at the bigger picture that's really been set up that has nothing to do with what's best for our babies, but is often about where there's money to be made. Okay, so let's, before we like fall down the rabbit hole, I'm so depressed right now. <laughs> like, I can't even, all these babies, um, including me, I was totally formula fed. Um, but, and I'll tell you that my grandmother has a story, and this, so this was in the 40s of when my aunt was born and my mom was born. The doctor, it wasn't even a question of breastfeeding. Like, you did not, because it was so old fashioned. Like, that's what her mother did. Mm-hmm. And the doctor said to her, Are you a cow or a woman? Mm. Wow. Mm. Right, because your baby should probably have human milk. <laughs> right, right. Last I checked, my baby wasn't a cow, right. and mine was a human. So can I be a woman who feeds my baby? But he was like, 
you you don't want to do that. Like you, you want, want this new. This and is here, have new. a cigarette because you have to lose that baby weight. <laughs> okay, well, have a cigarette. Have yeah. Have your quaalude and have a uh, have some have, have some formula else. because formula is what's modern and wonderful. And, my, and that was what we began to believe in. And even right. in the seventies, I mean, like you, you know, born um during a time when many babies were not breastfed. I mean, right. the early seventies was one of our lowest periods of breastfeeding rates. But there was an intense marketing campaign that infant formula was called the substance for sophisticates, right? Uh. And so even for me people in my family were like breastfeeding is for poor people I'm like what okay see we were poor and so my mom who is a hippie at heart anyway she breastfed three kids including twins because she's like why would I pay for something that I can produce myself so like that the, the, my mom the lack of a, money worked in our favor. Exactly. My mom was a rarity. The economics are flipped. Yeah, my mom was a rarity because I grew up in Park Slope. She was probably one of the only people who didn't breastfeed. Because mm, wow. it was like the hippie dippy. Yeah. That was what you were supposed to be. Um, but she was never comfortable with it. She really wasn't. And hmm. she and I think that's part of it too is yep. women just not being comfortable with the actual breastfeeding with like other people around you mm-hmm. and all those things. Well, I mean, one of the things that I talk about in the book is, I mean, when we think about taking back ourselves, I mean, it's our bodies, right? because our breasts have been over-sexualized. Like, they're used as marketing tools. Like, they're used to sell burgers and chicken wings and right. beer. But then people see a, a baby feeding on one, and they're uncomfortable. I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. You know? And so this idea about, again, asking that question, like, wait a minute. Who's actually saying what is good for our breasts? What's an acceptable use of our breasts right. to be pushed up, exposed? And what's an unacceptable use, as in our babies feeding? And I'm like, I'm sorry, men, but they are actually mammary glands. like, right. <laughs> And you can enjoy them, too, but at times they're for babies. Right. Um, and so, again, these are the bigger questions we have to start asking about, you know, who controls our bodies, right? Like, who are you to tell me that it's okay for you, for you to use my breasts to do this and that for right, you to, to make money? Hooters. That's right. <laughs> but for not for me to use my breasts to feed my child, mm, I'm going to have to ask you to sit down on that. <laughs> so what can parents do, like men and women, like... Where is the advocacy happening? What can you do to get involved to sort of start to influence policy, right? right. Which is where it's going to have to absolutely gotta happen. Absolutely. I mean, certainly the paid family leave um, advocacy is so critically important. Obviously, groups like Moms Rising and others are really kind of pushing, and we need to keep the pressure on, particularly in this current administration, that we as women. Um, and this is another thing that I think is really, really critical: is that right now I think that women are coming together. Right? We've we've had we're kind of feeling after the march like listen we're at a place where we want to come together and we don't want to forget that women's rights includes breastfeeding right breastfeeding is a reproductive right mm-hmm. and I feel that sometimes when we think of reproductive rights we think of the right not to get pregnant or to terminate a pregnancy all very important but for most women who will become mothers at some point in their life we have to make sure that we're fighting for the rights throughout your life as a woman and not just you know, before you want to actually use your reproductive organs and that breastfeeding completes that reproductive cycle. So what I really am hoping for this as we as women are coming together, we think about all the roles that a woman's gonna play throughout her lifetime and make sure that we include what mothers need, including paid family leave, including better and more affordable child care. Should we pray for co located child care? Let's oh let's just God. put it out there. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> Since we're dreaming, you know, and really start to think about women's issues, including the continuum of our lives, not just who we are as young people, you know? And so that's really important. So I think we have a great opportunity to be involved in advocacy um, as women and making sure all these issues are included as reproductive rights, certainly on a policy level, looking what we can do about paid maternity leave. And then to your point as consumers, like really telling these people, no, it's not okay. Um, I don't want you in my hospital. (laughs) 
I don't yeah. I, I want to know what's in my infant formula. Please, please tell me that. Um, and let's start really using our consumer rights to ask some key important questions. Yeah, I guess you could also even start with your OB, right? Yeah. Like, Mm. Did, have you had training in breastfeeding? Have you, like, is the hospital going to give me this bag? Like, what's going on? And just start to hold your OBs accountable so that they actually think about it. Because you spend more time with them. Absolutely. Than at any other doctor in your life, I think, you spend more time with your OB. Yeah, and you're not going to see the pediatrician until you, you've already tried the breastfeeding. Right. By the time right. you so. get to him, you probably already failed, you know? And so, or, or you've discontinued or you're struggling. But the OB is really, and asking him point blank, how much breastfeeding training have you had? What do you actually know? Right. right? One of the things that was so interesting uh, and, and I'll be really quickly that I talk about in the book was for years for years the growth charts were made by the infant formula companies <laughs> uh, and talk so about making you feel bad exactly <laughs> and so for me I share my personal story about how I was breastfeeding I was really proud of myself but they kept saying my baby was underweight and I had to supplement which is also known as undermining right yes. <laughs> supplementation undermining to me is the same word so but my baby was being judged on a growth chart that was based on formula fed babies and breastfed babies grow differently. And it wasn't yep. until like 2006 that the World Health Organization stepped in and say, hey, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be, you know, kind of measuring these breastfed babies by this chart that's based on formula fed wow. babies. But how many mothers, including myself, were really pushed to supplement oh, yeah. based on incorrect charts because the infant formula makers had insinuated themselves and had given out these growth charts to all the pediatricians. So these are the things that are happening. You know, it's just one example of this kind of historic relationship and where we really have to start asking a lot of questions. And I always now I'm like, do you have the the the, the, the who the World Health Organization growth charts? <laughs> Here, um, because I'm totally gonna ask my pediatrician should, next time. Yeah. We go, my girls are 15. I don't care. I'm gonna be like, which I need to know which growth chart you use. These, I mean, so again, we have to start asking these questions of our pediatrician. And I think as consumers, we spend a lot of time on strollers, right? Mm-hmm. We spend. I mean, I know how much time I spend picking out cribs oh and car God. seats. But you know, these these physician questions, you know, beyond what are your hours and you know, do you make house calls and some of those other things. But you know, we really have to dig deep to make sure that if it comes to infant feeding. New, you know, advice that we're getting unbiased advice and that we're holding them accountable to being able to provide that for us. That's what we deserve. Yeah. That infant ingredient one blows my mind though. I got to go back to, uh, that's like, I think that's going to be my thing. Absolutely. uh, When I think, when you phrase it like that, that the infant eats this same formula, I never really thought about you just got to do what you have to do and feed your baby. Yeah, like what other time in your life do you eat the same thing six Every, times a day? Absolutely. So you would year. think the regulatory controls would be stricter, right? right. Or that the yes. hurdles for for passing and 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 you know, kind of uh, marketing claims and, and 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 nutritional content would be higher, but they're not. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. They're not. That's the craziest. All right. We're going to take a break because my mind is like, I have to like process. <laughs> we need to talk Rebecca down. Buffering, buffering, buffering. Oh, buffering. No, now I'm all worked up. Um, we will be right back with the Bites of the Week and Kimberly staying with us. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. So we are back with our Bites of the Week, and Amy, Amy's always first. (laughs) So I have one very appropriate to today because it's kind of crappy out. Um, I, last week, I got an inverted umbrella. Have you guys heard of these? I've seen the infomercial. Okay, yeah, you might have seen it on TV. I didn't buy mine from TV, amazingly. I bought it from Amazon. It's called the Inverted Umbrella with Hands-Free Handle. 
I, I always wanted to try one because it's a very neat... Wait, hands-free um, handle? Like it attaches to your head? Well, what does it's, that mean? It's got, <laughs> <laughs> it's got like a C-shaped handle that if you need to have that hand free, you can put it around your wrist and kind of lean it up against your shoulder. Oh, So it's you wouldn't... You, I tried it today. You wouldn't want to like carry it around all the time like that. But if you need to like use both hands on your phone or something, you can Push a definitely... Stroller. Yeah, definitely for pushing a stroller. I used to get soaked pushing yep. that stupid double stroller. No, you could totally do that. <laughs> so... Um, so I tried it. To, I, I was trying it inside my house all last week, which drove my husband nuts because he's one of those people who thinks you shouldn't open an umbrella inside the house. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you're a grown up who believes in science. Why is this an issue? Um, but I finally got to try it in the rain this morning. And so what happens is when you when you open it, you know, it looks like a regular umbrella, but when you close it, instead of the the outside rainy part remaining on the outside, that part goes inside and down the shaft of the umbrella so that all of the water and all of the wet part is inside. So if you need to get into a car, you're not dragging a wet umbrella across your lap. When you're carrying it around, it's not, you know, it's not dripping all over you as you're holding it. Um, Again, I've only really tried it in the wild once, but so far I'm pretty impressed. How does it dry? Well, I mean, at some you point have you have open, to, right? yeah, at some point, like every time, every day when I get home with a wet umbrella, I just open it and leave it in my hallway until right. it's dry. It just drips all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I would have to do the same thing with this. Like right. it's no different, but, but you know, ostensibly there could be a lot of water in there. So yeah, you probably want to <laughs> shake it out outside maybe before you do that. Because if you do keep it inverted and just walk around like that so that you're not getting other things wet, it's just all building up inside. It is cool. You know, instead it's of, you know, when you go into cool. a store and they give you those little plastic sleeves. Yeah, you wouldn't need that. Around, you wouldn't need that. Yeah. You'd be such a courteous museum goer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Amy true. saw me struggling with my traditional umbrella today, and I, I think that just really increased her <laughs> I did, love and, for her new gadget. I saw people on the subway like trying to hold them between their knees and their yeah, pants were getting that wet. Me. That's why yeah, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But I think it's great. Like, why haven't we like added more innovation to you know something as basic as an umbrella? I think it was high time you know, that someone took a real hard crack at it. Do you remember that show that was on? Like, I, th- I feel like it was four or five years ago. It was a contest on TV for inventions. I think it only ran one or two seasons. I saw an inverted umbrella on that show. It was called The Umbrella, oh. And I don't know if this evolved from that, but that's the first. She she was so cute. She came on with little um, cocktail umbrellas and like did a little demonstration. <laughs> that's the first time I saw something like that. But now they're really, there are a bunch of different ones on the market. So I think now we're seeing the umbrella innovation. They have to yes. make a smaller one. I will say it's it gigantic. Is, it's very big. It's, it's a full-size umbrella. Right. It's big. Yeah. All right. Cool. Kimberly. Very cool. <laughs> Well, I think I've been excited about this book. I mean, two things I'm excited about right now, like where we are as mothers, is just kind of rethinking spins on old ideas, like the umbrella. Wait a minute. It's all tying together. So I heard about this book that I'm real excited about, um, <clears throat> The Importance of Being Little, What Young Children Really Need from Grownups. And it's supposed to kind of be rethinking our ideas about kind of schooling versus learning. So, of course, here in New York mm-hmm. City, we're very focused on schools mm-hmm. and getting to the right schools, I mean, getting into the right college and we kind of have this attachment to schools right and like but what is really the difference between schooling and learning and how people learn differently so I'm excited I mean it's written by a a woman um 
Erica Christakis, who's a Yale early childhood expert. And I think this idea of us redefining what learning is versus a focus on schools might be a great conversation for us to have. Yes. Yeah. And how we measure that. And how we measure that. Because I think, to your point, we're all about the metrics, yep. even when it comes to kind of early child development. And maybe there's something we can learn by focusing on the learning and not just the schools. So I'm, I'm curious about this. We'll link that to that. Good. Yeah, yeah. And it's very apt today on the day we they're trying to block the vote for the new Secretary of Education. Yes, very true. Very true. So learning. lots for us to be thinking about and learning about in terms of how our children really learn, particularly in those early years. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, that sounds good. I'm going to put that on my list. Um, so my bite of the week is a TV show because it's always a TV show. Mm-hmm. I feel. <laughs> or, or sunscreen. <laughs> sunscreen or TV shows. Um, so I am always looking for things or waiting for my children, I should say, to get to the right age so I can introduce them to my favorite movies or (laughs) TV shows. I'm like, finally! So they're almost 15. They're 14 and a half. So it was time for My So-Called Life. So My So-Called Life, in case you don't know, was a show that premiered in 1994. And I only know this because my first job out of college, I worked at Gray Advertising um, and I was on the ABC primetime and daytime accounts and so it was my first time ever where I knew what a pilot was I had no idea (laughs) and I was given VHS tapes of all the pilots for ABC and this was one of them and I was like what is this I have never seen a show like this and they were like it was amazing so um it is the story of Angela Chase um played by the amazing now I can't remember her name how can I not remember her name oh the one is the one who's in Homeland right now Claire Danes yeah Claire Danes so it's Claire Danes premiere she was she was 15 um but so it's a show it's in high school and it's also about the parents because it's in a typical sort of that mixed thing that has now become very common so you try to get the parents to watch with their kids Mm because you also have a parent storyline it's a little more of a risque parent storyline than they usually have on these kinds of shows I think like this is like the ABC family model now um, it was so ahead of its time. It was by the producers who also did 30-something. Um, so it was in that vein. Mm-hmm. But it was about high school in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it's yes. so gritty. Like, it's so... And one of the main characters is gay um, and Latino, mm-hmm. which at that time... Yeah, that like, was... Right. Who had that? Right, right, so Ricky's right. like Advanced. the best. Um, and then you have Rayanne, who's like the counterculture, you know, messed up sort of slutty one <laughs> there's no other way to say it um with of course exploratory the, exactly <laughs> um but you know it's they they live in pittsburgh which i think is so funny like has there ever been a show based in pittsburgh hmm. but it's so it's random but it feels very much like seattle for some reason like it's always raining it's gray and they're always in flannel because it's the 90s <laughs> um but it tackled crazy issues that nobody tackled. Now, now it's done in a much more melodramatic way. It was. It's such a realistic high school show, mm. um, and it's so good. The relationship between the parents and the kids. Like, there's no helicopter parenting. Like, there's a gun at school in one episode, and all the parents sort of freak out, and all the kids are like, "Whatever." Like, <laughs> happens. You know, like, like it's just so good. So anyway, we've been watching it, and there's. It was only one season. It was this short-lived little gem that now would be on HBO or Netflix and would go on, but mm-hmm. like then was network TV, and if you didn't perform with 40 million viewers a week, that was it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the rumor was Claire Danes, like because she was such a sensation from the show that her agent was like, time to move on to movies. Like yeah. <laughs> That was the rumor. But anyway, I have it on DVD, because that's what a nerd I am, because um, <laughs> I have all my favorite TV shows on DVD that I bought in like, you know, 2000. Right. So yeah, I pulled out like our 
binder of DVDs from the top. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I think I have this one. You can get it on streaming, though, because I did check first. I need to okay. check it out. I, I didn't it watch out. it the first time you got to check I it out. I remember it, but I, did, I didn't watch it regularly. But, it's you know, so I have good. a 16-year-old, so yes. I need all the high school context and, and, mm. re- and reality bites I can get. It doesn't change. No, like, it doesn't. What's crazy is all those issues are exactly the same. It's sex. It's drugs. It's hiding things from your parents or needing mm-hmm. your parents but not wanting them to know you need them mm-hmm. it's friendships it's everything's the same except there's no cell phones and social media <laughs> so like they're always missing each other and late and like there's all <laughs> which is so much That's better funny it's really funny like the girl and my daughters have like not noticed that really so i'm yeah. like happy about that but anyway my so-called life if you have a teen i highly recommend watching it there's right. 22 Excellent. it's a lot of episodes like 22 it's been taking us like one episode a night um, anyway, that is our show for today. Thank you, Kimberly, for being Thank here. Thank you so much for having me. We will have links definitely to The Big Letdown on Amazon and all our booksellers out mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. And we will have links to everything we talked about on the show. Yes. We covered a bunch of stuff and some of the advocacy groups and, and I don't know, your local officials, man. Get on this infant formula ingredient <laughs> thing. It's making them crazy. But certainly family policy, maternity leave, mm-hmm. all those things. Do not let that fall to the back burner. You're so right. Like reproductive rights from like puberty to That's menopause it. baby That's <laughs> like, right. the whole That's way right. um and we will have links on our facebook page facebook.com slash parenting bites on parentingbites.com of course um you can find us on itunes rate review subscribe it helps us get found and on play.it where you can find parenting bites and the cbs podcast until next week happy parenting bye, <laughs> bye.